Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, the podcast where we discuss multi-hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find hobbies to turn into additional revenue streams so we can finally find out what living comfortably means. We're your hosts, Austin and Mallory. Hello, hello. Hello. We're here again, talking about multi- Another day, another podcast. (laughs) And no more dollars, unfortunately. (laughs) this is mallory chief chatterbox and dream alchemist and i'm austin mark lion tamer and stylist to the stars love it yeah that's that's who we are this week well we are here again talking about multi-hyphenates actor dancer singer or podcast producer uber driver and personal chef it's mm. multi multiple jobs, multiple passions. Multiple ways to describe yourself. Yeah, that's multiple things that give you enthusiasm as we get into. Yes. So this is an episode mm-hmm. that I am very enthusiastic about. We <laughs> are about to experience an interview that you and I did with Adam Coke. I found Adam on Instagram organically through my love of dollhouses. Adam is a set designer. He's lived in New York for quite a while and has has designed sets for years and years. He's worked on Kiss of the Spider Woman, the original production of Million Dollar Quartet, Dreamgirls, and he's super, super talented and This past year, in pandemic world, he made a transition from living in a tiny apartment in New York, designing sets, to taking some time off because of a lighter workload, and discovering this love of dollhouses that he has always had. And so he already had kind of a dollhouse fan page, and he turned it into a dollhouse progress report when he started Mm -hmm. making his own dollhouses. So that's how I found him. I'm a huge fan of his work. He's a master craftsman and his dollhouses are absolutely breathtaking. And so I took a swing and sent him a message and asked if he wanted to tell us about all the things that he's multi-passionate about. And he very graciously agreed. Oh my gosh, yes. He obliged us with like a wonderful conversation. And I think somebody who brought wisdom and experience to this conversation in ways that you know we hadn't maybe had prior to talking to someone who's been a specialist in some ways for a long time but now is really telling their multi-hyphenate coming out story they're (laughs) now a person of many talents and enthusiastically sharing those talents and not trying to either suppress or hide them because of a demanding job or a fear of feeling like they're losing focus on their main gig exactly well let's turn it over and listen to our interview with adam coke yeah let's do it well we're super excited to have you i have been a fan of your work for a little while now when i got into the miniature world i discovered you there on your instagram and yay i love what you do (laughs) it's it's a big deal We'll talk a little bit more about the the miniatures and the dollhouse. Yeah, please. But I kind of wanted to open up with the 
answer that you gave about the multi-hyphenate question that we ask everybody. And you said that you had an experience of coming out of the closet as a multi-hyphenate. I think I came, I've come out of the, so to speak, closet for each of those hyphenates at some point. And I, since you brought it up, I've been thinking about it. And certainly we all gravitate towards one thing to kind of make money in life. And that's kind of the point you're trying to make is that despite our singularity of purpose, usually for our business purposes, each of us is is oftentimes at heart have multiple passions in life. The contrast of those things is I've been thinking that essentially the multi-hyphenate part of life isn't what we do for money. The multi-hyphenate part of life is what we do if we didn't have to make money, what we would do if we could just do anything all day. And that's where my multi-hyphenates come from. For instance, puppeteer. I've never made a single dime from being a puppeteer, but like if I could just, you know, if I had every day just to be myself, one of those days of the week would be dedicated to making, you know, putting on a marionette show for the, the neighborhood kids. I love that. My mom's a puppeteer. So you're really? speaking to my heart. Yeah. This is, I mean, I love that. I love that. Um, certainly all my multi-hyphenates are what has led me to the greatest one, which I mean, my, my biggest uh, area, which is scenic design, set design, uh, for the theater, whatever you want to call it, because that involves puppetry, design, architecture, directing, models, miniatures, in a sense. And so that all kind of has bled into the, the most um, useful thing I could do with all, all those is be a set designer. But individually, I respect each of those areas as well. I just, I love that answer. It resonated with me. There's this myth that you do just have to do one thing in life. And certainly, like I said, I'm going to talk against myself, but I mean, one of the secrets of success in a way is having a definite chief aim. You've got to put all, essentially all your energy into one thing if you really want to be like a runaway success in any one area. So you do have to concentrate your energies. I'm not saying you don't have to do that for a successful livelihood, but there's this kind of myth that you can only do that and only be interested in that. And certainly that's probably starts early, like in college and especially the more um, I went to Carnegie Mellon University, which is a great school, but essentially you have to decide early on, like many universities, I mean, like at 18, 17, like what you're going to do. And that's, and that's essentially all you do do there. And, you know, this idea that you're going to go to college and explore this and explore that. It's like, I wish I could have done that. I mean, but we had, to, we had a liberal arts school certainly allowed me that. And that's, and that really is should how it should be. It's like getting married at 18. It's like, I'm not, I was not in the position of, making that decision at the time. I yeah, mean, right. it, but of course, what's differentiates people a little bit is sometimes, you know, those, those, you know, crazy Midwestern kids who are obsessed with theater, they're like gung ho, like, like I was. And so <laughs> you do get this subcategory of people who do know, or at least they think they do. I mean, mm -hmm. they, who are dedicated and do want to study one thing in that kind of conservatory setting, but within that setting, within that four years and maybe grad school, if you choose to go to that, it's like, it, it, it get, you get, shave down just to focus on one thing and what i'm trying to get to is the myth grows is that like if you're interested in other things that means you're not serious about the first thing that's the kind of insidious part of it because that's not true like you can be dedicated to one thing i mean a certain area of life for your livelihood and be passionately interested in other things and that doesn't take away from the first thing i mean i went to a performing arts high school and it always blows me away when i see someone on Facebook who I went to high school with. And I'm like, you're still acting? Like, you became a dancer? And God bless. I mean, because we, we do need actors and dancers. <laughs> Absolutely. You definitely need them. 
I feel like we've had a, a separate guest on the pod who said something very similar, although she was kind of coming at it from the other perspective, having maybe never zeroed in until later in life on exactly what it was she wanted to do. But, you know, commenting on it's a little bit fewer, the people that get to specialize in something. And so those people do get to embrace perhaps a very special part of a journey where they can really be very specific, focused and narrow but that isn't necessarily the case for everyone. And it isn't necessarily the only path to success either. Absolutely. Look, again, I told you I was going to talk against myself. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be argue against myself. I wouldn't be in the position I am with set design, for instance, if I hadn't chosen that early on and been that dedicated through high school, through college, you know, early career, that kind of thing. So that has what that has led me to be able to be to this, get to this point and be like, you know, I like other things too. And then, then the reverse is true. Like you're saying, like you can kind of explore in life and then later in life become, you know, there's probably someone who's younger than me who hasn't even discovered yet that they're going to be a set designer and and they'll be the best one. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it definitely goes both ways. What was your degree in? To this point, I studied set design, or I studied design, oh, gotcha. um, drama design, um, theater design. And then, you know, by the last couple of years, you say officially, like, I'm a scenic designer or costume designer or lighting designer. Um, right. But I did okay. set design because I do, I loved it and I still do. When I'm you were just, young, was that like, take us there? What were you thinking when you were young that you were going to be? And now I'm thinking it's it's like this hourglass shape of interest. Like when you're young, I was like totally multi-hyphenate and then it narrows down to this at the point of college where you've got to narrow down and focus. And now as I grow older, I'm, it's widening again. I'm getting more interested in the things I was interested in to begin with. So as a kid, mm-hmm. I love puppets, you know, like in because you know puppetry theater um design miniatures certainly acting because you know when you're when you're a young child probably no one's going to give you an opportunity to design a set but you certainly can be in the show you know school plays and all that and because i in that multi-hyphenate way i'm like again i'm not an actor i've never been paid to be an actor but like you know Mm -hmm. at my at heart i'm a theater person so i'm like an actor you know i feel that inside me a little bit and you know and as parents watch out if your kid is turning the fireplace into a stage, turning the shower into a stage, turning a set of double doors into a stage, turning the garage into a stage, it's like, uh, you got a problem on your hands. <laughs> I see so much of myself in that. I was such like a, such a visual learner when I was young and I was a theater kid. And I feel like if I had fostered any of those things, I feel like I could have gone in a ton of directions. I like, I loved, I was very like tactile and visual and I loved fabric and shiny things. And <laughs> I feel like I could have gone into fashion or, you know, I did performance for a while, but I was not athletic or attractive enough for <laughs> any of those things to like be an actor or be a dancer. But I loved the environment so much Absolutely. that I've you know, and I've stayed in fashion peripherally through doing makeup for runway shows. And that's a beautiful thing about the multifaceted interest in life is that you can be, if you're open enough to acknowledge all those different passions you have, you can be in one of those and like be in the periphery of others and still enjoy them. It's not like, again, there's, there's going to be very few people who can actually have a career in every area they're interested in because there's just mm-hmm. not enough time of the day. And that's just not how different industries are structured. So, but it's, so that's, that's, the that's 
as a great example, I'm a set designer, but it's it's not like I don't get enjoyment, true enjoyment out of watching the actors rehearse. I mean, I'll ne- mm-hmm. I'm, it's not me on the stage, but I, I do want it to be. But I love being, you know, proximity to it and watching the director direct. And I love lighting, but I'm not a lighting designer. Watching the lighting designer do their work, it's like, it's just fun to be around all those things. Absolutely. And I think you're touching on kind of a super key element to the conversation that, again, is just always worth reiterating, which is the idea that you know, in our career structures, often we're asked to pick one thing or asked to focus. And that's almost where the term multi-hyphenate had to originate in Hollywood with this actor, dancer, singer. And where we're trying to go to is further expand that and really allow people to believe that it's okay, even if you've had a successful career, maybe focused on a single area, if you have a talent or a passion or are pivoting and starting something new, that that's okay. That doesn't have to feel scary or derogatory in any way. Okay. I love that you're pushing this because essentially what it's just like many movements, it's going to take a generation to take this in. And then when, what it's really about the people who are hiring being on, on the same page as this, because like I mentioned that college is one of those bottleneck points in life where people kind of reduce their hyphenates to one main focus. Another bottleneck is people who look at resumes and hire because if they see a page that has all these different things, they're like, wait, who are you? And it's not their fault. They just don't know what to do with you, which is they're not doing that out of malice. They're just confused. Mm -hmm. They don't know who to hire. And if they don't know any better, they're going to go with someone who looks like has all one resume, all one way, because it seems like a safer bet. But as this generation moves up and will be able to, especially, it's the cheapest thing to say, especially now after the pandemic, because that, <laughs> that applies to everything. Right. But, but now after the pandemic, it's like, I do see everything kind of shifting, being more, I mean, who does what and when they do it is more blobbish. It's like, I think it's going to mm-hmm. be giggier and you can do this and do that. And you make money doing this one day and you make some money doing something else the other day. So I think there'll be more freedom as we move forward. Yeah. Just out of necessity, because I mean, if you're working from home, who's to say what you're doing? I mean, you can do a little of this, do a little of that, and you can like kind of build a life in a different way. And we've been able to kind of further identify like what's bringing us joy and purpose and intention and structure. And I think working from home or the pandemic in general has allowed people to really lean into that question. That's why you guys are onto something, because this is the year that it's that the. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that people are coming out of their different shells and like realizing like with a little extra time, who are they and what are they really interested in now that work, um, if we just assume that anyone's given work has been diminished in some way this past year, there's just a little less of it or they have a little more time because they're not traveling or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they always wanted to do this. So they are. So hopefully they're doing it. Right. Without a commute, without my two hour commute, all the possibilities. I, tell you I, what, I mean, seriously. Extra hours. <laughs> I did get, I was kind of tickled at the beginning of this and nothing is, nothing is funny about what's going on in the past year, but just the little funny silver linings, you know, I mean, as a freelancer, all I do is work at home. I mean, like that's just, and it's making boundaries between in that mental compartmentalization between work and play and this and that. I mean, that's essentially, there are no real boundaries other than the ones you kind of, kind of sort of put in place for yourself, but that's just all stuff we're just used to. But then to see like uh, maybe just speaking generally, like a 
big swaths of the corporate world suddenly working at home. They're like, oh my gosh, how do I how do I differentiate home and life and work? And I'm like, welcome to the club. I was like, no, like, it's not easy, and there is no differentiation. So yeah, you know, when everyone was go- everyone was going crazy there for the first couple right. of months, like setting up a home office and doing this, and it's like, Join yep, we've been that's, here. Yeah. That's how it goes. I mean, the technology had already made boundaries harder, but I still, and as informal as the podcast can be. When I'm operating in work mode for the podcast, I still try to remind myself, send emails during like Central Coast work hours. Yes. So that you're not like, don't text people at midnight because this is, this is a job. I keep thinking how like the, I keep thinking of this, I mean, the real estate aspect of all this is, is going to be fascinating from here on out because now I can picture people going through houses. Okay. This can be the home <laughs> office, obviously. And that can be the Zoom, Zoom room. Conference. Like, because essentially everyone's, you know, moving forward, oh, yeah. everyone, everyone's going to need... I'm I'm thinking we're all we're all becoming these little television studios in our, in our, in of ourselves. I'm gonna have to start putting like Zoom conference rooms into my dollhouse. Yes, <laughs> this is the bedroom and this is the home office. Oh yeah, I saw pictures. Yours is looking good. Thank you. I have, I have you've got all that. You've got all that room to work on it. That's that's the I, jealousy. I do. Part. I have a I have got a a large basement for working in. I think that a a good pivot for us to talk about is. Speaking of the pandemic and your work and what you're doing now, you have been working in theater in general for a long time now, and you had a ton of work all the time. And obviously, Broadway is no more for the time being. For the time being, it's kind of on pause. I would keep thinking of uh, like in Disney Sleeping Beauty when like they put the the kingdom to sleep with a thing and everything, everyone, <laughs> like all the ushers and everyone's just kind of like, you know, they're all this kind of like. Asleep. Sleeping Beauty is my favorite Disney movie. Oh, it's gorgeous, by the way. That's my favorite one. Side note, they like blew the bank on that thing. I mean, like, they'll they'll, they'll never this all the time. It'll never be like that again. And everyone's, they all think they're like that. It's like, no, it'll never look that good again. They they went almost bankrupt to like, like, what if every background of every scene was this hand painted masterpiece? Tapestry. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that one. Well, look, I mean, so I'm a set designer, and as many freelance designers, designers and theater, entertainment, film. I mean, everyone's working on multiple projects at the same same time. I'm sure you guys understand. And of course, some projects are just in the rough design. Some of them are getting preliminary drawings made. Some of them are in final design. Some of them are in in tech, in rehearsal, final rehearsals. And so let's say that me and my studio, which consists of me and my business partner, Stephen Royal, who's a brilliant designer in his own right and becoming an even better video and projection designer as part of our company as we move forward. But we're usually working on like 10 or 12 projects at any one time. And again, they're all different phases, you know, so don't think that it's like, (laughs) it's not chaos, although it's it's stressful. You don't have 12 opening nights. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Back Um, to back. But at the time in March, and this is one of those things like a day that'll live in infamy. It's like March 10th. (laughs) I remember like all the gates came closing down on everything. But in March 2020, we were working on, you know, probably 10 projects at given, you know, different places, but two in particular that were opening like that week in March, both in Florida as it, as just randomly, a, a big, beautiful new musical called The Wonderful World about Louis Armstrong and his four gorgeous wives throughout his lives. And it's like told through the four, wi- the, the like four chapters of his life told through the four visions of his oh, wife, his four different wives. One. And that was opening in Miami and a big, huge production, big giant sets a big cast and of course you know like right before disaster it's like there's always something else going on and so 
I remember we were like, you know, having problems with like the permitting with the fire marshal about like how the front of the stage extended into the audience. Like, you know, you think you have problems. And then the next day <laughs> it was like, you have no idea. It's like the show's what over. Else could go wrong. And so that the thing is that that made it through like a week of preview performances before like they had to say, you know, before the thing came, came through that you can't have 50 people in a room. Well, that's you know, that means theater's done for the time being. So that right. show got, that show got sleeping beautied, um, put to sleep. And then new term, we're claiming it. <laughs> it's, it's a softer kind of, you know, I like telling it. Of it. and then while that was happening, I had moved on to, up to Jupiter, Florida to open a production of how to succeed in business without really trying like a kind of golden mm-hmm. age musical. Again, big, beautiful sets, beautiful cast, all rehearsed, ready to perform. And that hadn't got as far as the other one. And, and it was that same March 10th day where I got the phone call about the other show. And then the artistic director came mm-hmm. into the theater while we were rehearsing for how to succeed and being like, guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know what's going on, but we cannot, we won't be performing the show for an audience. And that was, you know, talk about rugs being pulled out from under, et cetera. Oh um, but that, this is where I'm going with this is that, of those, all those projects, I think, you know, a third of the projects kind of found a way to pivot quickly. For instance, at how to succeed, they realized we weren't going to be, wasn't going to be legal to perform it for an audience, but they quickly brought in a film crew, captured it on film and distributed it to their subscribers in like the Broadway HD kind of subscription audiences. And just kind of because they had the wherewithal and the resources to quickly film that that it became a film thing and so that was like a you know for all the energy that goes into something it was nice to i mean wasn't what we were expecting but at least it got seen by somebody and because and we can talk about this too but you know theaters are really on the hook if the uh, people have already bought all the tickets so they can't just say okay uh forget about the show we're not you know well thing is no one knew what was going on but the generous theaters aren't going to just leave all their ticket holders stranded there because they wanted to give them something. And so something's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, th- <laughs> so a couple of the projects pivoted quickly, a, a third of the projects just like pulled the plug with no plans mm-hmm. to do it, you know, without any real plans at the moment to do it again. Right. And then a third of the projects have been kind of holding out, having invested way too much in it already to just pull the plug. And so it so, part of the most kind of frustrating heartbreaking part is like has been the back and forth of like okay we are going to do the show it's going to be in a month yes. no it's going to be in two months three months i'm like guys 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 like it, I, I feel so jerked around not by it's not anyone's fault it's just like no you know as, it's honestly optimism in people no, it's and true. It, it's that a blessing true. most of the time but i i totally relate and agree that it's like until we know, we please not yeah, it's, force I, upon us this future that is so uncertain. Yeah, just you, I mean, just think, and I think of, you know, and we're just the set designer, so to speak. But think of the actors who are like mentally preparing. Okay, I've got to get this performance back and ready, like back in my head, all my lines, and they're like, no, 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 yeah. it's not happening. Oh my yeah. god, it's like up and down. Or reserving down. time instead of maybe they're multi hyphenates, they've pivoted. You know, trying practicality to pivot of it for sure. It's like, should I book mm-hmm. this job or should I take something else? Should I get my real estate license? Do do I need to, you know, right. talk about Start a podcast? Know, pivoting? Exactly. <laughs> One of the pivots I, I wanted to ask you about was in our pre-interview, you talked about how 
partly the pivots that you've had to make with some of these shows that have changed has actually kind of opened up new avenues for you, or some of your shows have transitioned to an outdoor theater experience? Absolutely. No, that, that again, nothing funny about this past year, but there are silver linings. And that, and that is true with all catastrophes. If you, you have to look very closely with a the microscope, there's always silver linings in a disaster. And that's just the way life is. Luckily, leading up to this, I've had a lot of outdoor I mean, like kind of kicking and screaming, but as it turns out, I've had a lot of outdoor theater experience, like pre-pandemic. And so it's no surprise that a lot, I mean, a handful of shows and more and more this coming summer, I imagine, will be like choosing to attempt the <laughs> the feat of doing something outside, which is no small feat. But one of them, for <laughs> example, in Oklahoma City, Lyric Theater of Oklahoma, a great organization for maybe, I'm sure the last 10 years, they've done a very traditional much beloved by the community indoor production of a Christmas Carol. And if you guys don't know, like Christmas carols usually are like the thing that's keeping a theater's lights on all year. I've seen several productions, but I didn't, I wasn't aware that that was like a, well, it's like, it's why ballet companies do the Nutcracker. It's because the that's Nutcracker fair. pays for everything, all the other experimental stuff they're going to do all year. I'm being oh, good wow. about it, but you know, just as far as a, mm. A cornerstone the of their exactly yeah. a cornerstone of the season they're like let's and because side note because when it comes to the holidays the holidays are about tradition and so it makes sense yes. that you're not going to do some experimental theater thing for christmas it's like no no no, no. i want to see something i love and i know i'm going to love and there's no way to mess it up really um we're going to dress so, up in uncomfortable clothes and get dragged to the nutcracker by our family that we don't like to spend time with exactly but then everyone's speaking walking speaking of puppets my favorite is the muppets christmas carol oh it's genius I love yeah. that one. Oh no it's yeah. brilliant it's it, yeah and and exactly anyway look a high school can do christmas carol and by the end you're like oh, i'll be a better person like you know it's <laughs> It's hard. To, it's hard to mess up. It's a great, great story. Oh, but so they've done so for many years. They've done this indoor one, which makes total sense. And then this past year, Michael Barron, the artistic director, and who's also a good friend and has been like a big champion of mine, you know, growing up in uh, my early career. But he's like, you know what? We can. We it's kind of a temperate climate in Oklahoma City during the even during the winter. He's like, you know what? We can do. We could do this outside. A like I was saying before, we need to make some money and our subscribers are expecting a little something. And so like many cities, Oklahoma City has a kind of a living outdoor historical kind of museum that is a, you know, a collection of historic buildings from around, from over the ages and across Oklahoma, like, you know, old, like a log cabin and then an old storefront. And it's kind of a, and during the year, it's like a living museum outdoor. Mm-hmm. And so they contacted, it's called the Harn Homestead, if you want to look it up, the Harn Homestead. And they contacted them and said, can we do like an outdoor, safely distanced, walk through immersive version of our same Christmas carol? And, the, you know, they were, the, I'm sure the museum was completely on board as far as tickets and oh all this God. stuff. And so yeah. we kind of, I helped them, as is my nature, to kind of craft the script onto these historic buildings, you know, this could be the Cratchit's house and then everyone will walk and that'll be Scrooge's house. And then everyone will walk in when there's an open field we use for the graveyard, you know, and like, et cetera, et cetera. And you, and then the part of me that's kind of like artistically conservative, I'm like, Oh, this is not going to work. Like, this is so, this is too weird. Of course, everyone loved it. And it was because of the novelty of it. They ne- no one had ever experienced anything like this. And so after yeah. 10 years of seeing it one way, people were just like, you know, just that's the beauty, the beauty of outdoor, especially immersive slash, site-specific theater 
it's so special and unique that it is it's hard for the audience not to like be on board immediately just because they everyone senses that it's something that they have not seen before and it's just so special and it will never be there again yeah and so everyone was very excited about that and it was just nice in a very in a scrooge after the fact kind of way it was nice to bring like this kind of joy to the community in a very dark year well and i think maybe it's the multi-hyphenate in me but there's been like I alluded to this excitement and trying to find out how to still survive and thrive during a time when everything that was typical is now very atypical. And I think, you know, obviously if you attempt something and fail, that's a bummer and doesn't mm-hmm. always feel good, but I feel like between or like you, the generous theaters, but I also feel like audiences and people in general have been very good to thy neighbor, if you will. And we've experienced that at the place I work, just people getting excited and on board with things and letting us feel like we've succeeded and pushing us to the point where I feel like I'm going into 2021 and beyond with new skill sets and new confidence to bolster old habits. Absolutely. Um, I love hearing that in your journey too. Um, no, I think this is I mean, one of the many things that this past year has revealed is the individuals and companies, their ability and willingness to pivot. And mm-hmm. sometimes I always, I mean, I think about individuals, both individuals and companies. It's like, do you want to be like a little model sailboat that can turn quickly to avoid something? Or do you want to be the Titanic and like cannot turn in time? Yeah. And it's like, right. and so sometimes I think that the bigger our egos are as individuals or the bigger an organization is just practically, it's like the harder it is to get it to turn in a, in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And so what you really want to be is nimble as a, mm-hmm. you know, I, as either as an individual or as a company, it's like, look, the circumstances have changed drastically. Do we let's let's try something else? It's a risk, but what what choice do we have? Do you want to miss the iceberg or not? It's like no, yeah. but darn. Well, hear hear that HR yeah. folks. If you see someone <laughs> with a very eclectic resume, perhaps they're nimble and yeah. able to deviate. <laughs> I love so in keeping us a little on track with what you've been pushing at. And then I want to definitely get to your other hyphenations, but the future of theater, is there anything that you're excited about or kind of looking towards in the rest of this year or in 2022? A good thing. Well, look, first of all, we, I, I do love how, you know, like in the first day of college, you're like, we're going to be friends forever. And then four years later, like, I never saw that person again. So like what, what started off in the beginning is like usually not how it ends up. So I always, I, again, I've been like quietly chuckling to myself a little bit that in the beginning, it was in the theater world, we were all saying, well, you know, as soon as Broadway comes back, we'll all be back. And it's actually turned out to be Mm -hmm. quite the opposite. It's like, I believe that probably every form of theater will be back and probably might be like the last thing just because it's so big. Mm -hmm. It's there's so much at stake safety wise and this and that and vaccines. So like lyric theater of Oklahoma, like I think of smaller medium and big, but not Broadway theaters will be able to like figure out something to do in, especially as in individual States and individual cities, like the situation becomes more, uh becomes more agreeable like they'll be able to figure out solutions um ahead of the big guys 
that and and within those solutions, what I'm excited for is it's probably going to forevermore be like a infinite mix of different things. Some shows mm-hmm. can be taped and never seen, but they'll be distributed mm-hmm. online. And some things will be video with a green screen. Some things could be live, but no orchestra and an audio. And like just the, the the kinds of arrangements are this year has taught us to rearrange in every different ways. I've seen, you know, people have produced whole plays literally just on zoom and i'm not saying that will happen in the future but that kind of thinking can translate mm-hmm. into a live performance and you know so i think all the different variables are going to always can be mixed up in a lot of ways moving forward just because we've had to get kind of accustomed to all those different tools as opposed to 800 years as people saying theater is dying what they mean is we're getting tired of seeing the same kind of shows in the same space in the same right. way from the same angle over and over and over again. So it's not, it's never been and for di- the same cost. It's a pretty, can be prohibitive, yeah. you know, so exactly. being so, able to see something yep. for a cheaper cost is going to bring in younger folks and folks maybe that didn't know they were theater lovers. And then eventually they'll pay the big bucks for you know, totally. the Broadway shows. I mean, the other thing that has made this has made clear this past year is that you can do things a thousand ways virtually, but ultimately it's only igniting people's passion to go back and see a live. So again, people thought that like, oh, movies like, you know, 80 years ago, people thought, oh, movie, this, the talkies are going to ruin theater. No, they didn't. People who <laughs> love movies love movies. Like, it, you know, or um, streaming Hamilton is going to ruin the live thing. No, people, now people want to go see the real thing even more. Like, it, it only okay. heightens it. So I, the live thing will never be, in fact, the live thing will, you know, the live experience will just, it'll be more of a luxury to go see it live. Because, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll be able to see anything and all, all things like online or whatever. Ooh, I'm so, very excited um, for my yeah. small Colorado town. So for in a, so for in a year that's made the, has put the live experience at risk, so to speak. It's, I think it's, I'm, I'm happy because people are, are so just like restaurants. I can't wait to go back to a restaurant and I can't wait to go mm-hmm. see a show live. It's not like this year has taught me that I'll nip, you know, that it's not possible or right. you know, that it, to not want that. It's like, no, I want it even more now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing Hamilton on TV. Doesn't like negate the experience. I think it like brings more people into the idea of like, I saw this and it seemed really cool and it would be like even oh, yeah. more exciting to see it live. Unless you're me and you didn't care for Hamilton, but that's another story. It's a whole that is another hot story. Hot take, Austin. <laughs> Austin. Yeah, Austin's hot take is that I'm not a fan of Lin Manuel Miranda. I would actually probably be thrilled to see Hamilton with anybody else. I don't know. Oh. I think he's super talented. Oh, as an actor. As an actor, you don't like. Him. I don't think Got he's it. a great. Noted. I don't think he's a great singer or great actor. Anyway, we're not going to put any of this in the podcast. Controversial. We'll have to put asterisks at the title of this. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Trigger warning. Yeah. Adam, are you good friends with Lynn manuel Miranda? I am Did not. you design all the sets for Hamilton? No, I believe me. I wish. <laughs> if I did, I'd be <laughs> resort right now. Yeah. We'd have to pay you to be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> well, I would love to uh, switch over and talk a little bit about the way that we came in contact, which was through a mutual love of dollhouses. Oh my and God. Yes. <laughs> not to tell your story. I have but... a mutual love of dolls. Yeah. So I'll, right. I'll sign up there. You're, you're, in, I had you're a in the club. You're in the club. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'll play with the dolls in your <laughs> yeah. dollhouses. Well, I would love to hear you talk about, and I don't want to tell your story for you, but you told me that what I think you're referencing is you you found my Instagram page, which is dedicated to my 
miniature making, yes, which has been a byproduct of my multi-hyphenate year in quarantine. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I mentioned before as a kid, I love, I mean, just, uh, well, Hey, I think to let myself off easy. I mean, I think the love of miniature things or oversized things is just a joy of life. That's why like at Disney yeah. world, like the giant teacups that you ride in, it's like, mm-hmm. why is that fun? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cause it's just like 18 times bigger than it should be. It's just <laughs> funny to see that. Um, or the reverse, you know, when, she, when Alice takes the other pill and everything's really small or whatever, it's like, that's just like one of the joys of life, I think. And so as a kid, I, I told you, all right, I didn't tell you, but I had like train sets and miniatures and making models. And as far as like you said, you were a visual learner. Like when it came time to make a diorama for school, mm-hmm. I was like, boy, oh boy, I'm yeah. going to nail this. Like that's how <laughs> I will express myself. <laughs> um, so I've always loved, and of course, like I said, in a work way, making models and maquettes is part of set design. Obviously, you know, you make the stage model to show the producer and the director. But as you also know, like when you have to do it for work, it's like not quite the same. So (laughs) I love, I love making models and miniatures, but you know, I've up to this year had never done it for myself because in that way I was saying before, like I just never like quite come to terms with myself that that's something I really did like. And it was, and with, and pre pandemic, I just didn't have the time to do it because, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just working to, uh, especially in New York, you are essentially paying to play. You've got to like make money so you can afford the apartment that allows you to stay in New York to keep working, et cetera. It's like quite a cycle. Right. But one of the things that I always said, like, gosh, if I had some time off, I would definitely like build like the the dollhouse I never had as a kid, like that dream, you know, really awesome house that was, you yeah. know, anyway. Well, the and wild so, part is that you created this Instagram account as basically like a love letter to these dollhouses and these room boxes from the, uh, Chicago exactly exactly the thorn rooms yeah. in Chicago yeah, in if anyone Institute. doesn't know like in the basement of the Art Institute of Chicago the Chicago Art Institute I always forget there's Art essentially Institute. 68 <laughs> infamously now 68 these little um, rooms that are sunk into the wall and you go like peer through a picture frame through the glass and there's these little historical rooms and as a little history lesson you know a lot of big museums have like historical rooms, like a, a Spanish drawing room that was literally brought over from Spain and they'll set it up against in the museum. And of course, Chicago or landlocked art Institute in Chicago did not have the room to have a series of like full scale rooms. And so uh, a kind of socialite of the time, Narcissus Thorne, she's like, I love miniatures. I'll make these for you. And she essentially enlisted, I think during the depression era she enlisted all these and in my mind i mean i'm romanticizing it maybe but she enlisted all these out of work craftsmen like tiffany's craftsmen and furniture makers to make miniature versions of everything they made in real life but were out of work currently and she assembled these 68 historical rooms from like tudor all the way up to oh up to the art deco period i mean up to like the you know the current time of their of their time how foreshadowing and cool that that's sort of the homage you were going Absolutely. for. You know, so as a kid, I, my parents took me there. They're they're very they loved all different kinds of art uh, institutions, and so I we and when we'd go on vacation, we'd definitely go to all the museums, <clears throat> and so I definitely saw those. And, and essentially, they're little sets. I mean, it's like looking into a little stage mm-hmm. set with the lights, and there's no there's no figure in it, which I always love. That's one of the, right. the mysterious parts about them. It's you know, people always say it's like someone just left the room and it's always this kind of like who lives there and you get to kind of like, you know, in your mind, you get, kind of get to decide like what is going on in this little diorama. 
Yeah. And so that's just something I've held in my heart all these years. And like I said, like if I, if I ever had money or if I ever had time, I'd like get one of those or make one of those. And so, oh, that's right. And so on Instagram, <laughs> back when I was like kind of coming to terms, coming out of the closet as a miniaturist, so to speak, I was like, you know what? People don't know. It. And oh, because I, I, this is so silly, because I'd be like scrolling and like hashtag searching. I was like, wait, I want to look at pictures of the store rooms, which I haven't seen for many, many years. I couldn't find any pictures. Like, you know, people should know about this stuff. And so I just like from one to number 68, I just like posted like a, you know, a picture a day with the information about them and people like started liking them. That really took off. And now, but that's that, but that's like a fan page. I mean, that that was the fan page portion of it. And then when, especially when quarantine really hit, I was like, now I really have time. I made a, made, I made one house and I'm making my second one right now. And I've kind of essentially been like, like this whole mini miniature, this old house style, like uh, taking photos and um, what do you call it? Posting the progress of the house as it goes along. And, right. And a lot of people we got to follow have you. been people, you know, <laughs> getting people really excited about the progress. Yeah. Well, you started this dollhouse therapy Instagram page, like before you even knew that you were going to be making your own dollhouse. But like I found when I started this miniature game, that there's a community of people out there who are craving this content and are so mm-hmm. excited about these things that you found an audience who was equally excited for. Yeah, a hundred percent. The thing is in life, talk about multi-passions. I mean, if you look deep enough in any area of life, you're going to find a, a crazy fan base because <laughs> there, you know, if you think you're alone, there is someone else, no matter what you're interested in, there is someone else in a community of people who love it just as much of you, just as much as you. And so that is no different with miniatures and, and, uh, I'm not, it's not, it's not a hidden community. It's just not, you know, it's not something that's out in the public that much, right. but you know, right. you look, or just like, just like model trains. I don't even, you know, mm-hmm. I have to think of all the, the model train societies that are in every city and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you just, <laughs> you just don't know about them, but they're out there. It's so we, oh, can't, for sure. we can't even know. And so sure enough, like other visual arts, it's a perfect match for Instagram, which is essentially a photo album kind of world right. and so it's that's a perfect way to display both set design and um miniatures and sure enough there are tons of people out there um who are passionate about it and you know charting their progress and p- posting pictures they like and and seriously this is uh like i've done you know i've kind of jumped into the water this past year but there are people who have dedicated decades of doing this oh, yeah. more right. real craftsman i mean you know like little drawers that open and little like real silver Ooh. candlesticks and stuff it's like how do they do this i mean i'm still I, I am always amazed every time i open it up to see what 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 will they think of next and so i'm always oh yeah on. i think that's one of the coolest things about miniatures is that i started with these kits and then i just sort of free form bought an empty dollhouse and started changing things based on ideas that I had and seeing what other people were doing. And then, you know, was making tiny carrots out of clay one day and was like, we're going to move out of California and I'll just make tiny carrots out of clay for a living. And then I looked on Etsy and saw that there are literally thousands of people making tiny carrots out of yeah. clay. Oh yeah. And, I'm, and mine are the worst. So like, I'm not <laughs> going to be the tiny carrot guy, but one of the coolest things about it and I get so inspired when I see your work because you are, I mean, even though you're just beginning this, your foray into this avenue of arts, like you are truly like a master craftsman. Oh my God. And 
and seeing your stuff gives me ideas of like I'm I want to try something like that in my dollhouse only I'm going to make it out of like coffee stirs because I don't have like the, the means to get real hardwood floors for my dollhouse. <laughs> well, look, I, I, there's so many things I want to talk about. First of all, anything, all parts of real life are are in, are paralleled in the miniature world, and so some so some right. people's thing is like, oh, I turned a tuna can into this, I turned into this and that. Other people are like on the other end of the luxury items, like, no, this is a real tiff, like this is literally a miniature Tiffany chandelier or something it's like gosh there you know, every way of being is paralleled in miniature i um, just saw a post of someone who's making miniature tiffany lamps that they are like they're 3d printing the frames of them and then their hand like yeah artistry no, it, it never is, stops it's awesome it's you should mind make blowing mini have you followed the account ugly vegetables or ugly fruit or something you can make minis of those they're so miniatures of ugly carrots exactly and someone out there is like gosh all i need is an ugly carrot for my collection that's what you know (laughs) there's someone if you're making it someone's looking for it lopsided apple come on you can do it we need them Um, right but you're making me think i mean essentially when i mean this past year if you've had some extra time on your hands and you have had food to eat and a roof over your head you've probably had time Mm -hmm. like some of us to explore your other um, hobbies and interests in life. And, you know, the first phase of the pandemic was everyone's working on their house and Home Depot is like blowing up because like, <laughs> I need to redo this room. I need, I need a home office. And they're like, right. every I've pop- never spent so much time staring at an ugly wall Exactly. So, so, I, so truly there was that first phase when everyone was like, have, suddenly they're like looking at that room they wanted to repaint after all those, all these years. And so first, you know, first step was like getting your own house in order. And then people are like, now what are we going to do? And I do believe, and I have seen people start getting a dollhouse kit, starting Instagram page for it. And like, I'm going to chart the progress of this project just because it is something to do. It's something to do with the kids. And I do have seen a, a swell of interest in miniatures as, because in this past year, people have literally, we've all, oh, yeah. been, we've all had to go inward, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I mean, spiritually, f- practically. In our houses and our interests and everything so mm-hmm. people are kind of like zeroing in on a pr- especially i think about the city dwellers it's like you know if you're really in an apartment and there's no end in sight it's like you do want to as a meditation you do want something to work on that is going to last a long time it's not gonna be like a puzzle you can do in one day it's like now what do i do it's like no right. build the whole house it's whole there's there's, a, there's a, you've already ate all the bread yeah. that you baked <laughs> so it's time and then and so that's just my impression of things but then i have been in contact just through like talking with my <laughs> i mean the bigger this page, instagram page gets the more people reach out about partnerships and sponsorships and all this stuff which i never thought a year ago i'd be talking about but that's people cool. reaching out i mean manufacturers reaching out and i have asked them and they have said absolutely business is crazy and oh, i was yeah. like okay so it's true because i sense yeah. online that there's like more and more people kind of like gravitating towards towards it and maybe that'll just be for the time being, and then once things go yeah. back to normal, they'll be back to their job, and they won't do it anymore. But certainly, um, even like the the suppliers and stuff have mentioned that, like, oh yeah, it is like wildfire. Like, okay, yeah. good. <laughs> well, I think part of it that's really cool is that people like you, who are craftsmen in other areas, are now able to bring skills to hobbies that you know there is this groundswell of people who are getting into miniatures right now. I think. There are so many more people who are interested than there were two years ago. But all of these people who are coming in have these ideas and skills and they're able to kind of like, I think the whole community gets kind of like a a net gain from the ideas and skills that you have where 
now you bring in your ideas that come from other places and people see what you do. And I think the whole community gets to see. Totally. No, I yeah. look, I think inspiration is like, I mean, people being inspired by things, it's like Midsummer Night Dream. I get inspired from her and she's chasing him and he's chasing her. And, he, and so it's like, so you just do what you do and someone unknowingly is being inspired by you, even though little do they realize mm-hmm. I'm inspired by the next person right. in line, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. And so here I am just like making this dollhouse and like posting the pictures of it as it comes along. And and just in that way, um, the most endearing part of it has been I mean, lots of people reach out just, I mean, because that's, I mean, that's why I post the pictures. And so people are like, oh my gosh, this is looking great. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's like the general interest as things get posted. But then there's people who like kind of message on the side or direct message who are like, this has been the hardest year of my life. And I literally get the oxygen to breathe, to wake up and look, how, see how you're doing on this. And like, they really, oh and they're like, this has really inspired me to do this. And anyway, so there, there are people who have reached out in the very personal ways to be like, this really has been like a joy to watch this progress during this very dark time. I'm Absolutely. like, oh, wow, here I am yeah. just like, you know, trying to keep, stay sane during all this through my own, right. you know, crafty project. But it really, <laughs> it really is like, you know, I'm not saying it's helped people, but people have really responded, you know, more than I could have imagined. I feel like it really has helped people. I mean, the, in the period of the past 10 months, going from losing my job, fully focusing on miniatures until literally the moment I had the like lightning bolt idea of like, we're leaving LA came from making miniatures. Then I was able to fill my time post move with decorating a full size five bedroom house. And now doing the podcast and these things are, you know, not the buying of the house, but the decorating of the house is a hobby and a luxury. Yeah, of course. And those are things that have really saved my sanity. And I know something you and I talked about in our initial, when we first talked, it was important to you to point out that like, there's absolutely a level of privilege here. We're very lucky to get to spend the time doing like fun things that are not essential 100%. in like a, a global way, but they are essential to our mental health. Well, that's why I said I mentioned earlier. It's like if you've had, if you have a roof over your head and food, right. you've probably had, you know, you can have you have the the little space to breathe and concentrate on like the other parts of life. Certainly, I, this economically this past year has affected people in ways that we can't even imagine, and you know they've got to concentrate on other things. So, no, I I feel definitely blessed to be able to do what I love. In the meantime, I'm a little, I mean, I'm still on unemployment. You know, like there's still, I still have problems. <laughs> you know, we all we all have our own version of it. But, um, but I like the concentric circles you're drawing too, because I think acknowledging the privilege, acknowledging maybe some differentiation between someone who was an essential worker during this time or finding themselves strapped in a different way. It feels like what you just alluded to was like the work you were doing was was not for nothing. Someone was literally gaining confidence or excitement or thrills from what you were doing that perhaps saved them from a a darker day or a darker moment. I'm one of those people. I'm thrilled by what you're Ah. doing. Well, the thing is, usually that kind of secondary pleasure comes from the theater, you know, like, like, oh, my gosh, I love that show. I lo- that that really moved me. Exact- but that's all been on pause. So in that gap, I'm glad this is kind of like risen to fill the occasion. Speaking of what you do with your time when you do have a roof over your head, you said that come quarantine time, you kind of had a short list of things that you 
that were important to you to kind of like get out into the world and well that's that again in that multi-passionate way and it's like for the all the years of that we've all been living pre-pandemic i'm sure we've all had those moments where like gosh if i only had a little time to do blank i would and so here mm-hmm. with a little extra time it's like well now you got to put up or shut up because like now you've got the time to do it it could be an area that you had never acknowledged before like miniatures or it's an area that you were aware of you just never did it or never had time for so i so my little short list that has always been brewing in my mind had been like gosh i'd love to like you know exercise regularly because <laughs> you know with the theater and design and production schedule traveling around you know it's i'd uh, I'd always like, gosh, I, I, gosh, I should be exercising. And then like 1130 would roll around. I'm like, God, I'll run to the gym for, I don't know, 20 minutes. I'm like, that's not good. You know, like that's 30 minutes before midnight. It's not really the time to get revved up. And like, <laughs> it's, it never it was never very satisfying. Exciting dreams. Exactly. So I, so my first kind of just personal goal to, in that, in that, like, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you help other people. It's like, you know what? I should probably just like, go for it and try to this exercise thing in a regular sense, because I've always been interested in it. I just never did it. And it's, you know, exercise isn't, isn't like a, Oh, I did it. Now it's done. That's just like a right. mode of being that I had always a, you know, like a, a pattern. I'd want to be into that. So that I feel like I'm like kind of more on the, you know, I'm on it now and I know what that's going to be like. And I, and, and I know what it's not, you know, it's not like it hasn't changed my life. It's just like, and it's just, you know, subconsciously, I'm like, you know what, you're doing the right thing. And that feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The dollhouse that's check. So exercise check, <laughs> dollhouse check. And in more than I thought on that one, of course, because now like people are asking me to build one and blah, blah, blah. So that's taken off. <laughs> and, and, then blah, the, blah, blah. and then the last one, and then the last one is to, uh, is to kind of pr- pursue my spiritual interest or like philosophical studies and all that. You know, I don't know if you know Fiddler on the Roof, but there's always a line in the opening song where the dad's like, if, oh no, if I, if I was a rich man. And mm-hmm. if I was a rich man, famous song, he says, if I was a rich man, I would just sit around and read the holy books all day. And as a kid, I was like, wait a minute. So ultimately, if you don't have anything to do all day, you'd like study, you know, the spiritual aspects of life. Yeah, I never yeah, understood bro. that, but now I do. And so I was, so in my attempt to be, I guess, Tevya, <laughs> with a little <laughs> extra time, I've always been interested in that kind of thing. And my, as a side note, my mom's dad was a uh, taught philosophy at the University of Dayton in Ohio for like many, many, many years. And my mom always said like that strain of interest skipped everyone in my family except for me. And so I'm kind of carrying on that that torch for him, I guess. But the thing is that as a set designer, as a dramatist, theater person, I mean. And you can only research individual shows so much before you come up against the same mythology over and over and over again. So that's always been like mm-hmm. set the periphery of what I do is kind of all the symbology and mythology and psychology. Um, and so it's always been like essentially a part of what we do already. I just wanted to kind of study it more specifically. I like that. That that was something you kind of touched on during a conversation before we started recording, but even in your normal day job a year ago, you talked about like the hierarchy of jobs and how you kind of worked with so many different people that had specialties, but everything had to work in unison to build the final set. And I've seen in your journey, it's, you know, this is just my take, but it feels like you very much have these lines and connections between your pursuits and interests. 
but yet you're also very able to very much able to savor the specialness of each one in particular and on its on its own and I like that for multi-hyphenates because I think there's this idea, uh, you know, kind of the, here I am arguing against myself, but the idea (laughs) of like being able to do a lot of different things well and quickly and maneuver and pivot is, you know, baseline. What Mm -hmm. we kind of talk about is like the trick of the trade. You have to be able to be quick and um, nimble (laughs) as a word we've been using. But I think, you know, sometimes the trap is feeling like that's really overwhelming and you're looking at this ominous, you know, you're seeing the forest and not the trees. And I like coming sometimes back to this idea of like, let's look at the trees. Let's carve out what's my list, you know, workout, dollhouses, philosophy and spirituality, and then continuing to maintain connections and um, inspiration for set design in my job for the future. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I deal, I'll, an idea I'll give you is that in the ancient philosophy world is the idea of the second mountain, which is actually ties into the multi-passionate part of life so perfectly, which is, and as I, and I can, I'm just, I just know you guys know what I'm talking about and others will too. It's like, my example would be like, I thought, I mean, I wanted to be a set designer. And as soon as I got to the top of the set design mountain, there was another mountain and okay. So there's mm-hmm. something else to climb. And so every time you yeah. get to the peak of something, there'll always be another passion, something else beyond that. And that's called the second, the idea of the second mountain and third and fourth and fifth, et cetera. So as soon as you, you know, as, as soon as you get to any point in life, there's always going to be this horizon where you're like, gosh, now I want to do that. Now I want to do that. And so you just keep going. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of life. I think. I feel like one question I wanted to ask, and maybe it can be framed around also a question that we've asked many other guests, which is advice. But in, I'm interested to know kind of if you want to speak to what's driving you or what is fulfilling you through this multi-passionate kind of chapter, if you will, or this year of coming out and being more able and comfortable to be a multi-hyphenate. And if in this year you've learned anything that would offer people other people advice or would be something that you'd look back and tell yourself you know 10 years ago what one of the secrets of success is enthusiasm but like the root of that word in the greek sense is enthusiasmos which means like to feel the spark of the gods inside you and so you know that's why dancers love to dance and painters love to paint actors love to act because there's certain things that get us like ah, excited like enthusiasm so when you look at certain things or you want you know the, the passions in your life get you enthusiastic that's a key that means that it's for you and so the 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 benefit of exploring your multi passions in life is because you know just like in a in the wrong kind of romantic relationship you know you expect one person to fill, fulfill all of your social needs all of your personal right. needs that's a huge request of someone when really you know yes. you have your you have your husband you have your friends you have your this your that your boss your this you have to have different, you know you have to have a multiplicity of people in your life to fulfill all these different needs because they all you know they all do different things i have no idea what you're talking about i know you don't luckily, luckily my ex-boyfriend doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> and and so 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 same thing with your interest and passions and vocations in life it is a lot to ask at for me, it's a lot to ask set design to fulfill all of my needs. That's just not, I don't think that's possible. So you've got to have your, your main vocation for your work and for your interest and for, your, for money. 
and you have to have your side hobbies for your pat. You know, you have to have different things for different reasons. But all, all of that is underlined with enthusiasm and the ability to express that. And as we've all learned, I think the enthusiasm you find in one area of life can transfer over to other areas, and that can be like the mm-hmm. that can be like the momentum that gets all areas of your life going. So. What I'm trying to say is no matter where you harness your enthusiasm, find it wherever you can, because this, the excitement that brings to your life and happiness can be applied to all other things. And someone's like, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're happier nowadays. I'm like, yeah, because I'm exploring all my different interests and hobbies in life. It's like, you know, and that leads to your romantic life and this and that. So um, I would follow your passions, follow your enthusiasm, wherever that is. And you'll know because you'll like light up. Oh, I always wanted to do that. Oh, if I had time, I would do that. Oh my gosh, like I always wanted to do that. You know, it's like that's the that's a very childlike feeling, but not childlike at all. It's like that's how we should be as adults too. Oh, sure. Well, Adam, thank you so much. This has been honestly a thrilling conversation. And I think that you've infused it with some wisdom and oh, enthusiasm. Uh, so thank, thank you. <laughs> well, no, thank you. It's it's fun to get swept away and just, you know go on tangents <laughs> yeah oh my gosh hence the the purpose for the podcast yeah. but thank you for your time and i know that we plan to link to any adventures on dollhouse therapy oh, as well as if there's anything else you want our audience to know about where to find you please let them know absolutely well look my, the page i started off with is insta adam coke on instagram which has all my set design and personal stuff on it and then dollhouse therapy on instagram and then there's also the dollhouse therapy page on facebook and you know i can't get a lick attraction there but maybe you can help with that <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure you will benefit from our massive audience and oh, yeah. <laughs> expect expect a swelling of followers oh, to, to your little page <laughs> but yeah thank you so much adam this was no, it's been a pleasure really um, really truly for us as well and perhaps you know we'll have you back in coming months when you're you've got a whole new story to tell as thing, the world changes again yeah so thank you most definitely all right well all i'll right. see you guys soon Bye. Bye. Well, thanks, Austin, for securing an interview with Adam. That was a fantastic conversation, as I think I already said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so stoked that we are now kind of in a place where we're reaching out a little bit further to people that, you know, we don't know personally and... People right. seem to be willing to talk about things that they're passionate about. So I guess we and that means you, a listener, if you yeah. want to tell us about your passions, let us know. We may be able to find a way Please to get do. you on. But And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please, please, please rate and subscribe to our podcast so you can hear every episode when it comes out. You can can find us on all of the podcasting platforms. You can also find us on Instagram at Blood Sweat Careers and send all of your thoughts to our email at bloodsweatcareerspod at gmail.com. And Mm -hmm. we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.